Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Georges Genty, and you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I am joined via Zoom by Brad, Zach, yo, yo. and Corinne. Howdy, howdy. Hi. Everywhere, every work, every week during this pandemic, we have been going back in time to watch retro films. This week, Corinne chose Return of the Jedi. And so we'll uh, tell you if you should revisit Return of the Jedi at the end of the episode. We'll also talk about movie news, Blu-rays that are coming out, and stuff we've been watching. And we also go around town with Brad. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. And before we do that, I just want to point out that Corinne was really mean to Brad about his around town <laughs> um, this last week. And then she ended up going to this thing that she shit on during the whole episode she's like you're so fucking stupid with your fucking stupid fucking driving in fucking bullshit fuck you brad and then she's going oh cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i love driving and also i guessed your movie on twitter and you never gave me five dollars oh that's right i need to i need to send you five bucks don't do it it's a trap it's it's a that's a bribe if it's a cop (laughs) uh i i also uh did it in code you didn't even like it. I'm really hurt by that, Corinne. Sorry, I was distracted by watching the movie at the drive-in, which I did not shit on Brad. You did. You're like, you're like, fuck Brad, open your mouth while this piece of shit comes in. I it's horrible. I was not making fun of Brad. I was just making fun of the lineup. But yeah, I went for a date night because there weren't really a lot of other options of things to do. So... And you know what? The 88 drive-in, or no, not 88, sorry. We went to the Denver Mart, and, and I mean, for a parking lot next to a drive or a highway, it's fine. And you hear the highway a lot during the movie? Um, Sometimes more than others. I mean, definitely as the night went on, it seemed like it got quieter. But, yeah, and then actually, so the lineup was Beauty and the Beast 2017, so that's the live-action one. And after that ended, like, more than half the people left. So we actually scooted forward and got better spots because there is, like, a light on the highway that's, like, right behind the screen. And if you're at a certain angle, it's, like, it washes out the picture for you. So we pulled forward so that the light would be completely behind the screen. 
was a lot better. Also, Beauty and the Beast, like, the whole second half of that movie is really, like, dark. Like, the fin- the big finale and everything. It's, like, really dark, so. Oh, yeah, really low lit, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of hard to tell what was going on. I'm like, I've seen this movie multiple times, and even I am having trouble figuring out what's happening. So. I, kn- I know. I, I want to pick out the 88, though. It might be. 88 has that problem, too, because of the (laughs) warehouse behind the screen. It has a bunch of floodlights on their buildings. But it's still pretty damn cool. Yeah, if you find the right spot, you can... like If if you're really close, the fence hides them. But if you're in the back, it's kind of like you see everything. What about the Fort Collins one, is it? There's no lights. It's awesome. (laughs) Ooh. Maybe we'll have to go to the Fort Collins one next time. Speaking of the Fort Collins one, uh, you have to go because... Uh, on screen one, they're screening Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and then Aquaman. Yeah. And screen two, they've got Beauty and the Beast and Iron Man. So that's what Fort Collins is up to. Nice. I spent most of this discussion wondering, like, why are they only showing one movie on each screen? And then I realized they just didn't put the picture. They wrote the na- they wrote the name of the movie. So, yep, two movies each. Uh, the 88 is still doing, uh, as of this recording, um, Beauty and the Beast, Iron Man, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And the Denver Mart. Uh, What's going on with this Beauty and the Beast, Iron Man lineup? Disney. Oh, is that something that Disney was like, all right, here we go. This is your package that you get. <laughs> I guess. They're trying to they're trying to, to lowball so that people would go to Disney+. Plus. It seems like a... I mean, it does seem a little weird that three drive-ins independent of each other come up with the exact same lineup. Are you saying there's a conspiracy, Corinne? I just think that somebody other than the theaters is dictating what movies are out. Yeah, oh, I 100% think that they're telling you, telling people what movies to show. Oh, well, sure. They, they go, how it works. Yeah, they go, hey, you have these choices. Uh, speaking of choices, there are none for the Denver Mart this weekend because uh, apparently all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday showings of Jurassic Park and Jaws Double Feature are sold out. Makes sense. Uh, Corinne, did you, did you guys just show up and get your tickets? or? Yeah, we bought them online ahead of time. It was huh. the Sunday night showing, so there weren't as many. Um, there were, I think when we got them, there were only like seven tickets left. But yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to be a parking space apart from each other. So that already reduces like the number of tickets they can sell. So that doesn't help. I'm sure it's selling out pretty quick. Yeah. Even the following weekend of ET and back to the future, the Friday's already sold out. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get my tickets right away then. Although I think since they also did the beauty and the beast, uh, Iron Man, uh, Fort Collins is probably going to do this lineup too. We'll see. We shall see indeed. That's what's going on around town. Nice. What Blu-rays are coming out this week? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Well, um, Ryan, every day I wake up and I hope you buy Marriage Story on Criterion (laughs) Blu-ray. Yeah, you can get... uh, Why are you yelling at me? I know. <laughs> that so was aggressive. My Adam, that was my Adam Driver impression. It was terrible. I didn't even know what you were doing. 
Um, it's the, it's my favorite line in Marriage Story because it can t- get taken out of context so many ways, which is every day I wake up and I hope you're dead. It's like it's a great line in the movie and it's emotional, but it can be taken out of context for memes so beautifully. Um, can we just get the information without the theatrics, please? Yes, you can. <laughs> um, Spartacus is finally coming on to 4K, I guess. Um, the regular cover looks fine. The steel book looks awesome. It's Spartacus's hand holding up that damn sword with the chains broken it looks pretty badass i like it i like Um, the tv show spartacus because it's really violent and there's tons of nudity we've had this discussion and i understand (laughs) corinne shakes Uh, her head but you don't realize how amazing spartacus is because there's tons of political intrigue and death sounds like game of thrones um it's way more stylized than game of thrones it's kind of like uh 300 where the yeah, blood and guts I've, is kind of like painted and stuff. It's awesome. I've seen 300. I'm good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how that movie was able to, or that show was able to get greenlit was because of like something like 300 coming out around the same time. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, you should open up your mind, Corinne. It's also made by Sam Raimi. So it has a lot of pedigree behind it. Yeah. I don't Sam. care. Yeah, you're so mean. Sam Raimi's your guy, Ryan. Not should, mine. If Miami and Zaki made a TV series, I'd watch the shit out of that. Although I guess he did, and I haven't seen it, but whatever. If he made a show on HBO, I would watch it. <laughs> Spartacus, brought to you by Miami and Zaki. Oh, this is a part where Spartacus pulls out a sword and it turns into like a fish with rainbows that shoot out of it. I would love a fish that shot rainbows out of it. That'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> Ryan, why are you jokingly pitching an awesome movie? That sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm just doing like Miyazaki's goofy ass fucking movies. Somebody that needs, are very well animated. Somebody needs to make an anime version of Ryan holding a fish that shoots rainbows. <laughs> Have you seen Nausicaa, Ryan? No. Okay, you might want to watch Nausicaa. I think you would like it. It's a little bit more violent than your... Uh, Is it have a pilot who is a pig? And I don't care. No, it doesn't. Mm. Is that that Porco Rosso? Yeah. Yeah. Because I like that one. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Uh, Paramount Classics has two uh, new releases coming out. You can get Airplane... Um, and both, it looks like there's also a steelbook version of this coming out as well. I don't know if they're related to the 4K restorations that they're doing for the Paramount Classics, um, but the steelbook looks fine. Um, I would get the steelbook, but it'll just keep on reminding me of my drinking problem. <laughs> my my screen says it's just Blu-ray only. Okay, now I've got a well, I've got a 40th anniversary edition steelbook um, here listed on Blu-ray.com. Yeah, the uh, little little card that hangs over the the top of it has the uh, Blu-ray plus digital. So that's the indicator that it wouldn't be Paramount Classics. Gotcha. Well, the no, Paramount... it, no, it's it's Paramount Classics. It's just they don't do 4Ks. They do yeah. a 4K restoration of it. Yeah. So, um, and then the the other uh, Paramount Classics that is coming out is Ghost uh, from 1990. Uh, I'm gonna say that this poster for Ghost looks pretty crappy. Like it's not. It's just. It's just. Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze holding each other. No, you know, no vases or anything that they're making out of pot or play and whatnot. Pretty sure that's the poster that got people into theater in yeah. 1990. <laughs> okay. So. There's a great episode of Community where they join introduction to po- uh, 
pottery and they uh the <laughs> the teacher doesn't allow ghost references in it. Yeah. That's awesome. They should do I a just watch that episode too. It's a brilliant one. They should do a twenty uh twenty uh remake of Ghost where Patrick Swayze just doesn't call her back. Because he's really dead. And <laughs> <laughs> And she thinks uh, he's just ghosting her the whole time, but yeah, he's dead. That's dope. And she's it's um, just two it's just two hours of her checking her phone. <laughs> um, and then there's a Warner Archive is putting out a f- horror four pack. Um, it includes Body Snatchers by Abel Ferreira, uh, The Hunger, Innocent Blood, and Wolfen. Um, oh, that's so, not bad. Yeah, and it's all in a four pack, so you don't have to. You can you can get some nice little variety going on in your um in your life there. I like Abel Ferrera's Body Snatchers. It's pretty interesting. It's not great. Yeah, but, no, but it's. I think it's well done. Yeah, exactly. And I have not seen Wolfen. That's it's okay. yeah. It's okay. Okay. All right. Um, and then, uh, Kino Lober's putting out a bunch of fun little adventure films from back in the day. Um, you can get Arabian Nights. Um. Uh, the Jew, uh, some of the Arabian Night movies. The Jew? Uh, what did you just say? <laughs> I, I, said, I said Arabian Nights. Oh, you must have cut out. I heard Arabian Nights. The Jew? No, no. Whoa, dude. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe I said that. Um, but Alibaba, you can get that. Um, you can get Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Um, you can get Buccaneers Girl with Yvonne DiCarlo. This I've never seen, but it looks fun. Like. Looks like a Yvonne DiCarlo is a swashbuckler and she's going to kick some ass uh, while some ships are burning in the background. Um, and then you can also get Son of Alibaba with Tony Curtis and Piper Laurie. Um, so yeah, it looks like you can get some adventure in your lives, guys. Courtesy of Kino Lober. Um, Scoob, the movie that has been uh, the topic of much debate, or I guess not debate, it's a pretty uniformed hatred on that movie, right? Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, you can get it on 4K now if you fucking want. <laughs> Watch Scooby Doo go like, to hell. No way, Scoobs. <laughs> um, and then uh, Tom Hardy's Capone movie um, from this year is out on Blu-ray. So, uh, if you want to watch that, you are more than welcome to. Um, and it looks like, oh, I think the last thing here is Castle Rock: uh, The Complete Second Season on Blu-ray and digital. Okay, Zach, when you do. Alibaba had 40 thieves. I want you to do it again. I can't do Robin Williams, so it would sound very insincere out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you went there, though. Cause I That's certainly... all I've been thinking about since it started. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's Blu-ray's. <laughs> Huh, maybe I'll try some of column A. Nah, you know what? I'll try all of column B. <laughs> a little from column A, a little from column B. I'm in uh, the mood to help you, dude. Have you ever heard the version of that song? I think it's Neo that sings it. Where they do kind of like a big band style number for it. Uh-uh. It's really good. I think it's Neo. I'll, Isn't I'll... the song already done in big band form? <laughs> I mean, it is, but like... They play it up a little bit. It's like a mixture of like hip hop and big band. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. If you heard it, you it would make sense to you. Okay, gotcha. I was gonna say like I mean I, I didn't mean to sound catty. It was more just like I'm pretty sure that's the style, but I could be wrong. It could be just orchestra. Yeah, now I want to watch Aladdin. 
been a while. Oh, I haven't seen it on Disney Plus. And or I can watch it on yeah. my non lower bit rate 4K. <laughs> or that. <laughs> I haven't seen the Will Smith one. Is it any good, guys? Should I even sit down it's, and bother? It's better than Lion King. Okay. I, it exists. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, just think uh, it, I think it has more energy than the Lion King. Mm. Well, um, Guy Ritchie directed it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's easier to buy in because there's actually humans on it rather Maybe. than just CGI animals the whole time. It's rather tough because, I mean, The Lion King looks stunning. Yeah. But once you get past it being stunning, then it's a, such a straight telling that yeah. it's, man. I, I mean, I do love Seth Rogen as Pumbaa. <laughs> Billy Eichner as uh, Timon is good too. Um, I mean, neither of these movies so far you're telling me have Ian McKellen asking to be changed back into a clock, so I'm not going to bother with them right now. But <laughs> it's still the best part of that movie. Uh, I'd also Ooh. like to point out that Best Buy has a slate of new Steelbook covers for existing releases. Mm. Um, they've redressed the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Goodfellas, Princess Mononoke, Mad Max Free Road, 21 Jump Street, Two Pack. 21 and 22, My Neighbor Totoro, District 9, Hocus Pocus, uh, Home Alone, and Spartacus. So, nice. the, the Spartacus steelbook is just the hand and the sword, Zach, so... <laughs> That's the one that I said earlier. They're focusing exactly on... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. I thought you were talking about the regular edition where he's on the horse and he's... Yeah, I said the, regular, I said the regular edition looks fine, but the steelbook looks badass. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, it's all good, but anyway. there's a lot of animosity on this podcast. I don't yeah, think so. I'm gonna end it. Sorry guys. <laughs> come, come back when you have better attitude. <laughs> anyway. Sweet. Um Corinne's just seeing to herself. That's not crazy. <laughs> Movie news. I picked. A, I found the Neo version of Friend Like Me, so I'm playing it while I have myself on mute. Please do. We don't have money, so we can't pay for it. Um. Unless Brad wants to pull it up. No, I'm good. <laughs> so, um, there's not a lot except for downer news. Um, so, I'll just uh, rip this Band-Aid off. Uh, Tenet is now being delayed indefinitely. Um, which uh, I guess we should have seen coming to some extent or another, given how it's been shifting around, but nevertheless, it's there. Um, and it, uh, according to Variety, uh, Warners has said that it will be flexible with the release and meaning it will not have a traditional theatrical rollout. Um, so yeah, we're just going to have to wait guys for Christopher Nolan's badassery to grace us once again. I think um, that's something they're going to have to do for a while Yeah, is they're going to have to re- do it like the old days where, you know, Cary Grant played Radio City Music Hall for three weeks straight. Yep. And then the movie goes, you know, to Chicago or something like that. It's called a roadshow engagement. It's how they put out a lot of those big uh, 70 millimeter epics back in the day. Um, that's kind of what Hateful Eight was doing, except it didn't. I mean, the movie's fine, but the, the release didn't do it exactly that way. Uh, maybe we'll get programs with Tenet then, like cool collectible programs. <laughs> yeah. You get me to come back in the theater. You got to give me a booklet. <laughs> um, and then uh, other than that, the only other news was that like, I guess Jurassic world uh, dominion has been, has started to film again. And uh, Jeff Goldblum revealed that there is a 109 page guideline of safety protocols for production. So 
are taking this super seriously. Um, uh, but basically, they're filming, at- uh, they're filming in the UK. I think at Pinewood. Yeah. So basically, there's the, people are trying to get things back on track as best they can. Um, and uh, meanwhile, on the digital front, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks World War II drama that was on Apple TV exclusively, became the biggest movie on Apple TV. And my guess is because it's the only thing that they have that people want to watch on Apple TV. So I got a new iPhone, and I got a free year with it of Apple TV. Mm-hmm. It is the worst interface I've ever seen. Because they don't um, divide it up to saying, hey, these are the shows you can stream for free on Apple TV. They're all together. And it, so you have to dig through the, the, uh, the task bar and find out what you have to pay for and what's free. It sucks. It's Because I wanted to watch Greyhound, but I'm like, I really don't want to now because it sucks. You know what I want to say in times like this? Fix it. Fix it, Steve. <laughs> It's not even uh, hard. You do it like Amazon does. Movies included with Apple TV Plus. Yeah, exactly. They have a whole subsection. Is but is Apple TV like a situation where it's so new that they're still working out kinks or does Apple just not give a fuck? I don't know. I mean, I I've opened it twice, so I don't know. <laughs> HBO and I have it for and I've had it for free just putting that out there. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I'll say H- HBO Max confused me at first, but I got the hang of it. Like, I was just having to navigate certain things. But, but at least HBO pretty- Max is pretty. You yeah. know, it has the pinks and the purples and the blues. Yeah. Anytime Apple TV is just blah. Yeah. Every time I get frustrated at HBO Max, I just look at the pretty colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that goes away. Um, but uh, yeah. And then the last thing that I have is we're going to get a reboot of Fletch from Greg Matola, the director of Superbad, and John Hamm will be playing uh, one Fletch. I like that so, casting. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm down with this. I'm uh, I, I it's weird because for the year for years the only news of a Fletch reboot was either coming out of Kevin Smith's camp or Zach Braff's camp, and so now I'll we'll see if this one actually happens this time. But uh, I like John Hamm; he's a funny motherfucker, and I cannot wait to see him uh, mess around his words as Fletch. But yeah, that's news. Well, I have some exciting release news. Roman uh-huh. Holiday is finally coming to Blu-ray Woo! with extensive 4K restoration. Woo! They had released it. Yeah, they. Uh, I guess it was so damaged, it took them over eight months to restore it. Really? So, um, that makes me happy. I almost bought the Warner Archives DVD a couple weeks ago, and then I didn't. And then today I saw that Paramount Classics is releasing it. The spirit of Gregory Peck touched your hand and went, no, no, Ryan, no. Yeah. No, what would Atticus Finch do? He'd wait. <laughs> Speaking of Gregory Peck, you can hear Ryan and me talk about him soon on an upcoming Shamley. Plug. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's what I'm here for. Anyway, that's Blu-ray, or that's news. Hey, let's watch stuff this week, and let's talk about it. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Let's get Corinne out of the way because she already told me she watched shitloads of stuff. Yeah, so I watched two animated movies. I won't talk about them on here because I'm going to save them for my uh, posts on the Real Nerds website about underrated animated films. So that will be coming to the website hopefully sometime this week or early next week. I got to just sit down and motivate myself to write it. So... Um, then I watched the entire first season of Community. 
I really, really like it. Um, it has like the same kind of style of humor that I enjoy that, you know, like 30 Rock or Parks and Rec has. So, uh, and of course I enjoy Abed because he's a character who's basically there just to quote movies and TV shows. And I'm like, Hey, I get that. Oh, cool. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite episode from the first season, but I, I think that just all of them are pretty solid. Like as a first season, it's really, really well done. Cause like, I know the office's first season's kind of rough. Parks and Rec <laughs> season is kind of rough. I think that that just kind of is like a thing. I think we've talked about it on here before where sometimes you know, just, you have all the pieces in place, but you're not quite sure like how the chemistry works and you're just kind of getting into the, into the flow of stuff. But pretty much right out of the gate, it was a solid show. Um, I feel like yeah. the first couple episodes of Community were the rough patch, but then it just finds its stride around the fourth or fifth episode. No, yeah, it's still the, pretty... pilot, the pilot is very much kind of rough reading that way, but it's – or rough viewing, I guess. But, it, yeah, overall, it's a really solid first season for a sitcom. Well, they do something really uh, unusual for that, too is whoever writes the episode, uh, Dan Harmon, who created it, rewrites every script. And he does that so all, all the scripts are consistent uh, with the characters. Uh, you know, you, as you get further in, I mean, you already had the paintball episode. Um, so they kind of go really hardcore into movie references. Um, I mean, there's one where they create six different timelines. Um uh, there's a zombie one. It's pretty great. One where they turn. Yeah, I, I did notice like it's uh, the pr- one of the production companies is like Dan Harmon and the Russo brothers. Yep. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense why this show is so good. Especially like you said, the paintball one is very well done. That might be my favorite. Well, I don't know if I'd say that's my favorite. It might be just like the highest quality of the season one episodes, but I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite. I'd have to think about it. Anyway, um, so, yeah, Community, really good show. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it yet. And then went, like I said, to the Denver Mart Drive-In last night. Saw Beauty and the Beast, the live-action one. And, you know, I kind of, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about that movie overall. Like, I really enjoyed it when it first came out. And in revisiting the original animated one and actually other adaptations of Beauty and the Beast, I see its flaws more clearly, but it's still not a bad watch. Like I watch, I mean, I was entertained the whole time. And of course, with all the familiar songs, I'm singing along in my car to the detriment maybe of the person who was parked next to me. <laughs> but, um, Nah, it was it was a good time. Uh, although, like I said, it was very dark. Like just, yeah, like the set and the lighting on the like the latter part of the movie is just really really dark. So when you're watching it at night and there's like backlighting, that does not help at all. So, um, and then Iron Man was the next showing. And it's still a really fucking good movie. I did not stay for the whole thing. I had to leave because, you know, work the next day, but um, I ended up staying through the scene where they have the training exercise, where he has the run-ins with the with the F-22 Raptors or whatever, and uh, yeah, I think I probably left it, like, the best 
point in the movie because I always thought like the third act wasn't as strong as the other two. So, but oh my gosh, that first act is, you can, you can tell like it's a product of its time because it, it really leans into like the war on terror kind of stuff, but it still holds its own. Like it's still really compelling and Tony Stark really is like, he, he has such a great arc as a character, even just in that movie, not just in the entire MCU, but I just had the feeling yeah. that, that, that the first act and the, the whole war on terror motif hasn't like aged it detrimentally. Like it, it's not, it's unlike some other films that use that as a device in their plot. Like this film doesn't like have that. It's just Tony Stark's just a weapons developer. So you can kind of place that within any conflict. But I mean, at the time it came out, of course it was very on the nose, but like, it, it doesn't feel like it um, is uh, weighed down by it. Right. It just kind of more like transports you back to like that way of thinking and like that kind of point in history, but it's not necessarily a bad thing that it does that. Yeah. So yeah. Iron Man, really good movie, especially if you only watch the first two thirds (laughs) and just skip out on the whole, that Uh, was, I don't know if it's good. I don't know. Well, it's fine, but compared to the other two parts of the movie, it's it's weaker. It's weaker than the first third, and well, the first third especially, but the second third is fine too. I think it works better as a third act for a superhero movie of the of the mid mid to late two thousands than a lot of mid to late two thousands superhero movies were, like like that because it, it 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 just stands better, I think, than some other ones. And and obviously the bar is kind of low when you have stuff like Ghost Rider and some other stuff surrounding that coming out you know, before and after it, but, but like, I, I could still get down with it. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I never know how I feel about Jeff Bridges' character in the movie. It's probably because I don't, you know, because the universe is so big now, it's hard for me to think about Obadiah Stane because he's the least important in a certain regard when we've got Thanos at this point, but. Uh, he's not uh, the least important one. He's the most important because he's the one who drives Tony Stark to make Iron Man and join the Avengers. He's also the one who bought him out, Ryan. Yeah. I think one of the reasons it falls short for me is because it's visually kind of uninteresting, especially compared to later MCU movies. It's at night. It's two guys who have the same powers, relatively speaking, fighting each other. They're just like out in the middle of traffic for most of it. It's not as compelling as like say the final uh confrontation in the avengers yeah but but sometimes i do appreciate that small scale like i mean it's not that i I understand what you're saying i feel like the small scale sometimes with a superhero film can end up being a little bit more involving i'd have to rewatch iron man see how i feel about that i think you need to on those kind of movies because i watch spider-man homecoming and that's way like toned down from avengers and i think a villain like that is appropriate for those types of movies because you can't have a, like, you know, a world ending threat in every movie because then how do you raise the stakes continuously? Yeah. You can't have a sky beam this early on in the universe. You have to wait a little bit. I'm not saying the world had to be at stake. I'm just saying, just set it in a, like get better lighting, have more interesting visuals, get two people who have very different power struggles, like something. 
But he has to beat Obadiah Stane because it's his father, so it's a, an extension of himself. And the only way he can beat him is if he sees himself in Obadiah Stane. That was I another know. thing. I, I don't know if I've ever caught this before, but at, early in the movie, Obadiah says something about like how we're warmongers or ironmongers, and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, never caught that foreshadowing before. Don't worry. When another movie comes out, it'll be carnage. <laughs> so yeah. then the other two things I watched this week um, in preparation for our movie Return of the Jedi I went and revisited the entire original trilogy of Star Wars Woohoo! I've said before I watched them a lot when I was a kid and I haven't seen them in at least five years so it's been a hot minute like I've seen clips on YouTube and stuff you know just kind of revisiting scenes but just the whole movie is a different experience, you know, that rather than just sitting down and watching like, I don't know, Luke's training montage or something, but yeah, it, Hmm. I don't know. It's like, what is there to say about them that hasn't already been said? Um, Empire Strikes Back is pretty much a perfect movie. The pacing in that movie. I mean, it's like, you think about it and you're like, yeah, they have like so much shit to do, but it's only two hours and you're kind of amazed that they can pack so much into one movie. Oh, and yeah. another thing that I appreciate about the, at least like the original trilogy is they don't explain a lot of stuff. Like it's a lot of exposition by, you know, showing, don't telling. So like that shot when, you know, the Jawas pick up R2-D2 and he's like in the thing and there's all these droids rolling around and stuff. And it's just kind of atmospheric and kind of cool and world building. And they don't ever tell you like, Hey, the Jawas are scavengers. They'll just pick up random droids, blah, blah, blah. No, you just figure that out. You know, they don't have to sit there and explain like, Oh, Luke got attacked by the Wampa. And now we've got to put him in the little medical pod. Like they don't tell you what's going on. You just, figure it out by watching they don't have time we gotta get this movie going here people it's a good example of pure cinema working its magic you don't need words or dialogue cards to tell the story but from my point of view the jedi were wrong <laughs> it's over ryan i have the high ground literally my block is above yours on my viewpoint view screen <laughs> i hate you i hate you <laughs> you were my brother anakin <laughs> You mean on the nose like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tell you, Corinne, when I rewatched A New Hope not too long ago, my new favorite delivery of a line by James Earl Jones is uh, just as he's about to gun down Luke um, on the Death Star run, he obviously gets hit by Han Solo, the Millennium Falcon, and he just goes, what? <laughs> I just started giggling my ass off at that, what? Uh, it's a fun movie. Fun set of movies. Yeah, again, and the same thing with A New Hope is with Empire is, like, there's so much that happens in that movie, and Mm -hmm. they really just kind of steamroll through everything. Both those movies have a really good sense of, like, pacing and keeping the story engaging and not dwelling on anything either too long or too short amount of time. Just building the world and the atmosphere, like the cantina scene where it's just painting around the different types of aliens. It's good. Oh my gosh. Uh, Not to say like, mm, I think a new hope has a couple of problems, but 
they're kind of corrected by the existence of the sequels. So there's that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's always a fun time to revisit A New Hope. I like it a lot. Empire 2, but I keep rewatching New Hope a lot more than any of the other ones. And interestingly, um, as, as, as is expected of me, I have a lot of lines from the movies memorized, but I will say that of the three, New Hope is the one that I had the least amount of, my, of lines memorized. So I, that just kind of indicates, like, uh, when I was younger, those were the one that was the one I watched the least as a kid, I guess. I remember watching Empire a lot, and I definitely watched Return of the Jedi a lot. So, like, that whole opening scene with Vader, I have that memorized in Return of the Jedi. You know, and basically, like, all of Vader's scenes. I must have really loved Vader as a kid, because, you know, I mean, like, he's amazing. And, you know, the fact that um, The Lion King came out when I was, like, three years old, and that was the same voice as Mufasa, like, James Earl Jones just has, like, the coolest voice ever. And also Darth Vader is like his character design, David Prowse's like physical performance. Like he's just like the coolest character in all of film, I would argue. So it's like, of course, like those were my favorite scenes were the ones where Vader shows up. And actually, um, shout out to YouTuber NerdWriter1. He has an excellent video about like the iconic imagery of Vader and how he actually has like 34 minutes of screen time in the entire trilogy and how they were able to make such an iconic villain from just that limited amount of screen. It's really, really good. So anyway, I'll wax philosophical about star Wars later, but that's all I've been watching this week. You must do what you feel is right. Of course. Heck. Yep. Um, not a whole lot. I kind of got bogged down in getting Shamley wrapped up. Um, but I did manage to squeeze in some things, um, when I was, allowed to relax um i rewatched uh 2018's halloween um and uh it's still a fucking badass movie that i can never get enough of um i i was really digging into examining the cinematography of this film in comparison to not just carpenter but also how other cinematographers of different films in the franchise have handled their uh their uh angle on it and I texted Ryan after I, after I watched it um, during the scene where um, uh, where they have the floodlights going on and off before Michael um, impales that kid on top of the uh, on top of the gate. Um, I have motion sensor lights outside my house, um, right near where my TV is, and the motion lights went off as the motion light sequence was going on, and I jolted and I nearly pissed my pants. I was I it was. It was it was a fun time, and then I texted Ryan that because he's he, he's a policeman. I texted him a picture of Loomis talking to Sheriff uh, Brackett about de- death has come to my little town, Sheriff. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of fun for me. Um, I uh, I rewatched Marnie uh, for an upcoming Shamley. You'll hear more about that later. Um, and then um, I put on uh, Freddy versus Jason in order to commemorate my purchase of the Scream Factory. Uh, Friday the 13th box set um, but I still have Freddy vs. Jason on that triple pack Blu-ray that has it, the remake of the two, uh, the 2009 remake of Friday and then the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street um, and Freddy vs. Jason is still a lot of fun um, 
I don't know how much of it uh, with the human characters holds up per se, but like Freddie and Jason's interactions and their participation in the film hold up eternally. Um, it's it's just a fun monster mash movie that is just fucking a, a ball to watch. It's it's goofy. It's got a, an appropriate amount of its own form of terror. And I think the final scene, uh, the final battle at Crystal Lake still Ha- still packs an interesting uh, punch from Ronnie Yu's direction, um, and I and I I rewatched uh, Crystal Lake Memories as a result of digging down deep, and I do love the whole uh, element of him going like more blood, more blood. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, and uh, and beyond that, the uh, the only thing that I had been doing was um, uh, going through a uh, a series, um, a radio series that I'm a big fan of uh, called The Shadow. And uh, just basically kind of digging into some comfort food, just kind of relaxing while I'm getting some other stuff done. So, but yeah, sorry. That's all I watched this week. Not a whole lot. Brad? Okay. Don't have to watch everything. Yeah. Uh, same goes here. I didn't watch a lot either. Um, I got a Blu-ray collection of Danger 5 from Australia. Um, and I've been just revisiting that. Um, it, it's it's weird that I haven't seen it since like it was on Netflix in 2014 and it just quietly disappeared and I had to go to Australia to get it and it uh, this it's only two seasons and it's, wait you went to Australia to get it yep through through eBay <laughs> oh okay not like you went to Australia <laughs> I would though <laughs> I believe mean, me I bet <laughs> if I could afford to- doing real nerds down under right. Right, yeah. He has to team up. He has to team up with Paul Hogan to find Danger Five on Blu-ray. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know what Danger Five is, it's a just wacky show that uh, there's like five special agents uh, that their only goal is to kill Hitler. And yep. the uh, aesthetic, the first season is very much like a 1960s James Bond. Uh, you know, spy, like the aesthetic is very much, it looks like it was filmed in the sixties. Um, and, but like all their settings and, uh, backgrounds are miniatures. And then there's like characters that just have animal heads. Um, like their leader, their like leader the, is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. The leader, Colonel Chessbridge has, is like an Eagle has an Eagle head, but like a human body. And then like Hitler has these like lizard men who are actually like dinosaurs with mm-hmm. uh like nazi uniforms on them and uh the second season is more of a 80s flashback um and i forgot how even more insane season two is because season one is has a very it has a very like slow makes sense but it's still funny kind of feel to it the second season is just every second is something completely bonkers um I crack up when Claire and Tucker are having their wedding and they're attacked by prawns, just floating <laughs> prawns to shoot lasers. Uh, and then there's like this super assassin called Mackenzie who just has a, uh, like a wolf's head. And then one of the danger five guys like stabs rubies into his eyes and he comes back later with like enhanced ruby vision eyes. <laughs> it's like, you only helped me. <laughs> I'm better than I was before. Um, but the, each of the episodes is kind of like an homage to like, I think the second episode is all, is like a slasher movie where Hitler is like 
like teleporting through walls and like cutting up girls in the locker room. Uh, there's like a, you know, eighties high school comedy episode where everyone's like enamored with Johnny Hitler. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cause they, uh, this so cool. Gets, it, it, he gets so, it gets so freaking weird in the second season because Hitler has no other, nowhere else to go as a character other than this bizarre place in a high school drama. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and by the end, they like they Danger Five kind of forms to the Power Rangers, and it's like a Ultraman Voltron. Like the hours powers combined, like then they fight like Boss Hitler, who's like a super mech version of Hitler, and <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. It, the I I I it's been a while since I watched the show because I watched it when you recommended it while it was still on Netflix. But I always remember two things. One, Chessbridge saying at the end of nearly every sentence, and as always, kill Hitler. Yeah. Uh, and then also at the end of every episode, Hitler has to escape by jumping out a window. And it's clearly just the same shot of him jumping out of a window. <laughs> yeah. And like Chessbridge has this weird disdain for Claire. Like he always tells her. Oh, like, he, oh he hates Claire. <laughs> yeah. Just because she's a woman. Um, what else? Ilsa. Like, yeah, Ilsa. Is like this. She only talks in Russian, so everything she says is subtitled. Um, and then Pierre, in the first season, uh, Pierre always like has a, a like a alcoholic drink recipe that's like weaved into the episode somehow. Uh, usually, when people die, it's like their last gasp of like it is this recipe. Um, but then uh, inexplicably, because the actor uh, became really successful and couldn't do the show anymore. They just replace him with a completely different person who doesn't even look like him. And they, just play <laughs> off, they just play him off as still being Pierre. Uh, but in season two, he's more of like a successful recording artist instead of like a mixologist. So, uh, yeah, and then there's Tucker, or not not Tucker, um, Jackson. He's the rah-rah American guy. Um, and then in, se- uh, in season two, he's kind of like the um, uh, Riggs character. He's like down and out and like, strung out yeah like suicidal um he's he's secretly in love with ilsa and just can't like he gets stuck in the friend zone for the whole season and it just like weighs on him so yeah it's it's if you can if you can find danger five check it out i actually think it was on shout factory streaming so uh see if it's still on it might have been like a one-time marathon thing but and then the last thing I watched was um, while I was in Illinois at the Midway Drive-In, uh, Severn Films had a booth. They're selling their their Blu-rays. And uh, because I had to wait so long for Ryan and uh, Zach to get back to me about what they wanted, the guy was like, y- do you want to have, you do want something? Like you had to wait for your, your guys like all, all afternoon. I was like, I don't know. Like I, there's so much here and there's nothing that I uh, really care about. But then there was like one copy of The Peanut Butter Solution which is not really a uh, a horror movie, yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely horrible. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this get made? Did a podcast about I think two or three weeks ago on it, and they made it really funny because this is a can- this is a Canadian film from I think eighty five, um, and apparently it's one movie in a series of like. Uh, like children's fables that they adapted for like this anthology of movies. They might've been like, you know, like uh, after school special type movies. Um, 
and it's just uh Zach, did you just take a picture of us again? No, I didn't. You took a photo. Hmm. That's me. Um I took I took one like a second ago, but not just now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was you. Yeah. Uh anyway, the peanut butter solution. Um this kid like wanders into a house that's like recently burned down. So he's like on this construction site or whatever. He wanders into the house and then gets scared and then passes out. And then his buddy like drags him home. And then he wakes up hours later and has no hair. He's completely bald and it freaks him out. And for like the next week or so, he feels like a freak and, um, you know, can't interact. Like he's over the top overreacting to it alienating people is being completely mean about it um and then one night he has a vision of two ghosts uh of their ghosts of people who died in that house and they give him a recipe for how to grow his hair back and it's this recipe that you know you think uh it's something that if someone told it to you you could memorize it instantly um it isn't it's like this long list of like it just goes on and on and of course the kid forgets things in it but the main component is that you don't use a ton of peanut butter just a little uh but of course he forgets and um you know it makes him grow his hair back when he puts it on his head but it it makes his hair grow back infinitely so it's constantly growing and it disrupts school so he gets kicked out of school and then there's this art teacher in the beginning of the movie that is like only wants people to draw real things he wants no imagination in his class and he's really hostile to the students and eventually the uh that teacher like the principal finds out about it and tries to discipline him and at the end of like the 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 confrontation she's like by the way i looked up your information and you've had a history of this and you've been like you've changed your identity and you've been kicked out of school i'm just like how did this guy get hired in the first place like now you're doing the background check so uh, anyway, while he's fired, um, and the other kids de- dealing with his hair thing, uh, it's only like the kid runs away when he can't deal with any of this anymore. And he gets kidnapped by that teacher and, uh, imprisoned in a factory where apparently he has kidnapped 20 other kids and they're just turning hair into hair, into, uh, paintbrushes. Um, and so like the kid's friend has to come save him. So the kid growing his hair pretty much does nothing except be a victim the rest of the movie. Um, And his best friend just tries to trick uh, this teacher who also, I guess his lineage goes back to Rembrandt and he's able to paint paintings without even looking. So there's a scene where, um, you know, the kids want him to prove that he's this master artist. So they basically created a a green screen with a ornate frame around it so they're green screening in what he's painting and he's like got his back turned to the green screen and he's just like holding the brush up and like doing this weird dance and painting this elaborate uh you know vision of the house that burned down um and yeah it goes nowhere um yeah it's insane and then it the friend at one point early on uh yeah after the main kid gets his hair back his friend is like 
let me try some of that. I want to try it. I want to put it on down there. And so later in the movie, like they're in the principal's, principal's office and the, you know, they, the principal's complaining about, you know, stop cutting your hair in class. It's distracting. You know, I, I need to expel you at the end of the confrontation. She's like talking to his friend, by the way, you need to do something about this. And there's like hair growing out the legs of his pants. Um, cause his pubes have grown so much. It's like, ugh. and then like his stop growing just cause he says stop. And there's no resolution to why the other kids, uh, hair stops other than the, the teacher also gets the fright in the house. It's, it's insane. Shit. Right. Brad, I was looking it up. Um, this is supposed to be the first in their new label called Severin kids. <laughs> and based based on our, our prior knowledge of Severin, this is going to be an interesting uh, label journey for them. <laughs> yeah, like what a uh, I just don't know how this movie, like why the choices in this why? It's almost like you have to ask the question: How did this get made? <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, the peanut butter solution, not the peanut butter falcon, is not related to that great movie from last year. Uh, this is completely different from like 25 years ago, 30, mm. 30 years ago. With music uh, with Celine Dion. Yeah, yeah, there's two Celine Dion's. It doesn't sound like her at all. Um, a little bit, but yeah, it's more... The first song she sings, I thought it was a Madonna song. Because uh, <laughs> it's very much like her 80s stuff. Oh. Um, but yeah, it just... It just looks... It just jumps around so much. Uh, the kid's dad is also a painter, and they set up that the mom is gone from the family. Um, and you feel like the whole movie is going to build up to, you know, the dad's been protecting them that like maybe she left them on purpose um, or she died and he hasn't like brought himself to tell, uh, to tell them yet. Uh, and so the, the, the kid's sister is like dressing up in her clothes and like doing all of her, cho- like everything the mom would do around the house. Like she's making dinner for everybody and just like keeping the family together while the dad is just being depressed and like struggling to make art. Um, yeah. And it turns out she was just away in Australia trying to sell their grandfather's house who died. Like she comes, she comes back to the movie at the end and just like, Hey, how's everyone doing? And like the whole time the, the kid losing his hair just wants to call her. And it's like this big ordeal about calling her. So I guess in the 80s, like calling long distance was a bit more difficult. But still, it, it seems like the, he, for him to have to ask permission when he's like going through this thing. Well, you know, collect calls could rob you. So. Wow. Are you sure the mom wasn't in Australia to pick up a really hard to find DVD? About the blacklist. Ryan can't even answer now. I think Kellen asked if I was talking about the blacklist. Yeah, he walked all over your Danger 5 joke. I got it. Oh, damn. That's all right. So that's what I watched this week. Ryan? Kellen? Might have been a really bad time (laughs) to get to Ryan. Yeah, sorry. Uh, He did ask if you were watching Blacklist, but he was also, you know, yelling. So just normal stuff. 
Oh my uh, goodness, I really hope I don't just like see him out and about somewhere and he just yells, are you watching the blacklist? That's how he knows you, blacklist oh, lady. Oh blacklist. no, I really hope not. Asking about the blacklist while yelling, appropriate Helen. reaction to the blacklist. I watch other things besides the blacklist. All right, uh, this week I, I finished a miniseries about class and society in England. And yeah, this stuff's not really for me. Like, it's not a bad miniseries. Uh, I'm talking about Pride and Prejudice, 1995. I, I, uh, it's well made, um, the acting is good. Um, I don't know why everybody loves Mr. Darcy, he's a total fucking dickhead. Um, he's not like that <laughs> hot. Um, and I mean, at least, uh, Miss Bennett is a free spirit and she doesn't need a man, no matter how wealthy he is. And yeah. And that's what happens in pride and prejudice. It's about women falling in love with men and getting married. Yeah. That's kind of how Jane Austen works, Ryan. Yeah. That's kind of how just comedies work in general. I don't know. Have you ever read Shakespeare? I have read Shakespeare. And at least there's like death and stuff in Shakespeare. Not in the comedies. It doesn't matter. At least there's death in Shakespeare. Who plays Pride and who plays Prejudice? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the hottest dude is Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. I guess there's this big internet thing where... He's like a wet shirt, and I go, okay, whatever. It is. It's a. It's a very big in joke in the Jane Austen fan community. If you've ever seen, so there's like a Pride and Prejudice sort of like spinoff thing. It's called Lost in Austen. Basically, like this woman from modern day gets transported into the story of Pride and Prejudice. Cool. There's this whole thing where she makes Mr. Darcy jump in a fountain so he can get a wet shirt. Oh, that's so funny. It makes sense if you if you care, <laughs> but you don't, so it, does, it doesn't matter. Uh, like I said, I mean, it, it's, it's well made. Um, the actors are good in it. Um, it's six episodes. They go by pretty fast. Um, yeah. I think you also watched the bonus features, right? I did. Nothing to, write, nothing to write home about. Oh, they exist. Really? No, they're fun. Like they go back and they talk about how it became a phenomenon, uh, the making of it, um, why they adapted it to six hours. Um, yeah. So not my fair lady level tier of bonus features, I guess. No, I mean, they're fun. Um, you know, it's hard because uh, period dramas like that aren't really my thing. Um you know, it's all about society and, oh, I can't believe so-and-so is dancing with this person. I really don't care. Like, the characters don't, like, do anything for me. Sorry, the world's not at stake. It's not an MCU movie, Ryan. They're just that, people. They're living their lives. The world doesn't have to be at stake. I liked The Favorite because, okay. that, because you know, that was well, that, a, a scary drama like, that was goofy. Politics, though. It's still dealing with, like, the monarch of a country. This is just random people. They probably like tea a lot. And their biscuits. Ryan, would you have liked it more if Thanos punched Mr. Darcy? Yes. (laughs) Actually, I'd like it more if, you know, Thanos picked him up by his neck and slowly broke it. Whoa, whoa. And then then, um, 
And then people would go, oh, maybe he deserved what he got. I, so, oh my gosh. So why do people like him? He is such an ass clown. What do you mean? He's such a, that's the whole, you clearly didn't pay attention to it, Ryan. Uh, I paid attention to it. He's mean. He's only mean in the first half. The whole first half is building up how much of a dick he is. And the nope. second half is winning you over. Just nope. like he's winning Elizabeth over. Yeah, well, Elizabeth betrays who she is by falling in love with Mr. Darcy. No, she doesn't. Oh, hell yeah, she does. It's like Ray uh, betraying who she is for falling for Kylo Ren. Can't happen. Oh, just because women fall in love, that doesn't mean that they're not strong anymore? No, I think they should fall in love with people that don't abuse them. Mr. Darcy doesn't abuse... Uh, He's verbally abusive. No, he's not. Uh, He is. When? When is he verbally abusive? He thinks he's better than anybody else. And so he doesn't give her the time of day. And he's like, I'm Mr. Darcy. I'm better than you. Because he's rich. That doesn't make him better than anybody. That's like the whole point is that they both have flaws and they both actualize and like improve themselves. He's Mm. flawed and so is she. Whatever. I'm not, Ryan doesn't even care. It's so easy. I don't even have to try. It's pretty good. I just wanted to get a rise out of Corinne because it's so easy because she loves the characters so much that I knew if I kept on poking the bear about how much of an asshole Mr. Darcy is, she'd get all huffy puffy and try to explain it and then get so Twitter pated and mad at me that she couldn't explain it. So I win. And that is like my Mr. Darcy. A boom. So now like how- that makes me really, really want Colin Firth to be in the MCU. I don't even know who he would play. Just put Colin Firth in the MCU already, guys. I like how she's apologetic about how his abusive nature is just a flaw that he'll grow out of. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that teach women that they should uh, marry someone who treats them poorly? Because maybe no. they'll change. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is literally not the point at all. Do people not interact with people? Do you not realize that I don't actually has flaws? <laughs> <laughs> everyone has not, flaws. None of us can. We haven't been able to for months. I wasn't doing that great before this. Like, <laughs> um, Ryan, what if Mr. Darcy was a Jedi? Would that help it out at all? <laughs> uh, no, because he'd definitely be a Sith Lord. Ah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Well, well, tune in next week when I talk about 2005 Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> if, if only people could see Corinne's face. Oh. I'm about That's, to throw hands with Ryan right now. <laughs> it's so easy. So easy. It's not that bad. You know, I watched it. There's some good parts to it. Not one of them being him being in a fountain. Wasn't in a fountain. He's in a lake. Oh, right, right. That's the other one that was really funny you were telling us about. Which, side note, everyone needs to go watch on YouTube the deleted scene from Bridget Jones' diary, Edge of Reason, where Bridget Jones, the character, interviews Colin Firth, the actor, and she won't stop talking about Pride and Prejudice, and Colin Firth is clearly really annoyed with it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So so easy, Corinne, so easy. So what else did you watch this week, Ryan? Uh, I watched a Sylvester Stallone prison movie called Lock Up. Nice. Um, yeah, it's kind of a fun movie. It has like all the cliches of a prison movie, they play football. 
he's wrongly accused. He has to get out. The Warden's warden corrupt. Is a, does does yeah. someone do pull-ups? Uh, yes. They're doing them on, in, the, uh, in the yard. So yes, there is someone doing pull-ups. And they're all like... Someone gets crushed by dumbbells. Yep, they also prepare a, a Mustang. Um, but yeah, Donald Sutherland is the corrupt warden. So he's awesome. Um, he's upset because Stallone broke out of his prison once. And I paid my time. Now he's like, oh, I'm going to teach you a lesson for making me look bad. Yep. And then something happens. Will Stallone break his one rule and kill somebody in prison? Hmm. Maybe. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie, Ryan. Does Stallone get to Zaywatanejo at the end? What? <laughs> Zaywatanejo. Prison. You said it had all the prison things in it. Does it have a scene where he gets to Zaywatanejo, gets to hang out with Tim Robbins at the end? No. Okay. He, uh, he makes the warden confess to all his crimes. Oh, snap. So Spoiler he alert, by strapping him t- to the electric chair. Oh, snap. So he one-ups the, yep. the Jim Robbins and Shawshank then by getting him to confess on an electric chair, no less. Well, you know Tim Robbins ever... got his warden to shoot himself. So That is true, and it is pretty amazing how he did it. <laughs> so, yeah, lockup's fun. It's uh, early 90s, I think. Yeah, um, I, I, I like how it's so much like Rocky, but like in prison. Yeah. <laughs> it's like even directed by the director of rocky and uh there's a funny uh special features on the blu-ray where stallone's trying to make it real so they go to the most hardcore prison that he could think of in new jersey you see you you got the blu-ray not the 4k blu-ray yeah the the, so a couple weeks ago kel and i were at walmart and the blu-ray was five dollars it looks good yeah yeah um, and the last thing I watched was uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, which is, I think, the third Hammer Dracula film. Yep. Um, stars one Christopher Lee. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty great in it. Um, a lot like the uh, 79 Dracula. It kind of drags a little bit at the beginning because I don't think Dracula shows up maybe till the 45-minute mark um, because he died in the first Hammer Dracula movie. And his master or his servant has to sacrifice somebody on Dracula's ashes to make him come back to life. Yep. And uh, there's a pretty great gore scene in it. Um, and then uh, Christopher Lee's pretty uh, terrifying as Dracula. Um, it's shot really well. Um, uh, Scream Factory did uh, release two versions of the movie. The American version is desaturated. Um, the English version is uh, more colorful. Um they both have their merits. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun movie. Um, Dracula dies like a bitch in it, though. Um, it feels weird that you would desaturate a Hammer horror movie. Seems like it would defeat the purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's interesting. And I, I, I was watching the special features, and I guess the United States one's 13 seconds longer. But I couldn't pick up where it was longer at. They both have uh, like the sacrifi- sacrificial kill. So it still has all the gore in it. So I don't know where they cut 13 seconds out of it. Maybe it's like the Saw uncut edition where the, where the, the extra footage is like really hard to spot and doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it might be just character beats or long, longer establishing shots or something. Um, Maybe just the third seconds of Christopher Lee's face. 
Yes. But yeah, Christopher Lee's a cool Dracula. They make his eyes all bloodshot. And um, yeah, it's fun. Check it out. And that's what I watched. Sweet. Uh, this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we went back to 1983 to check out The Return of the Jedi. Brad, should people revisit Return of the Jedi? Um, yes. Corinne? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a, what wow. a question to ask people. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe it would be better if you asked us something like, how does this rank in the Star Wars film? Oh, I'm sorry, Corinne. Is this your podcast? I'm the host. I don't know. I just think <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of a duh question when you ask. Well, not everybody you. likes Return of the Jedi. Well, then they should revisit it anyway. All the more reason to if they don't like it. Okay, where does this rank, Corinne, in your pantheon of Star Wars movies? Um, definitely above the prequels. It's above some of the sequels, too. Mm, I don't know. I'd have to look up my official rankings. But okay, wait. So you wanted me to ask you this question. You don't know the answer to it. Well, I'm just giving you a general idea. It's maybe like number four out of the nine for me. Hmm. I'd have Interesting. To, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay. Brad, where does this rank in Star Wars films for you? Uh, I don't know if I can rank them. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that my opinion has... In high school, I watched this a lot, and it was probably my favorite at the time before Phantom Menace even came out um, of the three. But, what, 25 years later, 30 years later? Um, I, as I was watching, I was just I was just picking it apart and just being like, this doesn't make sense. Why did they do this? Why isn't this happening? And it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just like I'm more critical of it, of it than I was before. Zach? I, sorry, I found my official rankings from May, um, and I had this as number two, <laughs> which I don't know if I would place it that high now. So in two months, you've changed your mind? Well, I hadn't seen it in five years. So, yeah, give me a little bit of rewatch value for that. So you just arbitrarily rank things without doing any of the legwork? <laughs> Sometimes things change. Your opinions change. I know. I just described how my opinion changed this movie. Yeah, exactly. Over 25 years. Anyways, uh, Zach. <laughs> um. To to answer the ranking question, I don't remember my rankings off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere in the middle of if we're talking about everything, including the spinoffs. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's I I've had to stop giving this movie shit in the grand scheme of Star Wars for multitudes of reasons, and just kind of embracing it as like it's the fun final chapter of this original trilogy, and there's a lot of fun stuff about it. Um, I, I still love that Boba Fett, a character that everybody seems to admire for some reason, is just, you know, able to callously fall into a pit as if though he's not the biggest badass in the world like everybody thinks he is. Um, but everybody's on their A game in this film. It's not like there's it's not like there's like anything weak in it. And I my opinion about Ewoks has grown over the years to go like, yeah, I want to watch teddy bears take down a, a fascist empire. That sounds fucking badass. Um, and uh uh, I really, I really like Hamill in the movie a lot. Rewatching it this time around, like I, I really like what he's pulling out with it. Like it, it actually, it, it's weird. It almost makes it seem like he's growing 
weary of the Jedi Order. And it's almost as if this is a decision that then ends up making even more sense in a film that got berated for no reason. I'm just saying, Last Jedi is great. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's funny how uh, a lot of the people who don't like that movie, you know, uh, seem to have this vision of Luke Skywalker as this conquering hero um, who never doubted anything he ever did. Um, but did. <laughs> I would argue that even beyond the first Star Wars, he's still whiny and confused and reluctant to do anything. Yeah. And he's also kind of terrible in hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> and, and I mean, he, he almost dies to a worm with an eyeball in the first one. Yep. And by, by, the thir- by the third one, though, he is in that conflict zone with, you know, the fact that he, you know, the Emperor's pitting him against his father. There is conflict in him. They've never shied away from the fact that Luke has hesitations or reservations of any kind. It's just that I think that when people walk into something like Last Jedi, they're expecting those to be shed over 30 years. And in fact, the beautiful part of it is, is that those hesitations grew and it evolved into what that movie presented. Um, yeah. He's always been yeah. self-defeating. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. And then as far as, but as far as it is a movie, like it's actually, it's well-directed. I still think the speeder bike scene through the end or I mean, do you want me to say what I think about it or are you just going to keep going? No, I'm done. Well, we I mean, we still need back. to play. I mean, Once we still need to the play the trailer and stuff. Yeah, it's it's okay, Ryan. We're still under time. We're good. No, it's. I mean, we're already talking about the movie. I mean, is it still my fucking show? Everybody just does what they want. Tell me what to do. It's my wow. show now. Attention on this one. Oh, oh shoot, Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> I am decapted now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's never been one of my favorite Star Wars movies. When I was growing up, my younger brothers always loved this one and my older brother does too it's his favorite star wars film um i don't know if it's because i got tired of watching it constantly but uh when you watch it again and the special edition is the only version you can watch you just realize how much you don't like it um oh i'd, I'd also like to point out that i i watched the despecialized version if you can see i'm pushing on my nerd glasses <laughs> oh cool thanks brad um, you but don't it's still have any a... glasses to push. So I just <laughs> Shut up, they can't see. <laughs> like, but except you don't have glasses, so it doesn't really work. Uh, uh, you didn't get invited to the glasses club. I'm sorry. It's called theater, Corinne, and no one can see this. So you, <laughs> you just ruined the magic. Go on, Ryan. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I still think the movie's fun. I still enjoy moments of it. I like Han Solo in it. Um, But yeah, here's a trailer for Return of the Jedi. Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. The battle for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero. The courage of a rebel. The strength of a leader. The loyalty of comrades. 
the power of the force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. Is Darth Vader my father? A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes, villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. Major Crap! The quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy. You know what else I think makes it like less special is that like it's already kind of a new hope again because they're fighting the Death Star. Um, but now the Rise of Skywalker is has come out, come and gone. And the struggle that Luke has at the end is a lot like what Ray's going through. So you're kind of for a third time going through like the same movie. So I think that makes it less special. It's like um, poetry, sort of. They rhyme. The uh, you know, it's I don't know. Like, there's a lot of fun moments in it. I'm always down for the Rancor fight. Um, I think the Jabba stuff is awesome. The first, I I don't know, fifty minutes hour of the movie fly by, um, and you realize when you get to Endor that you know they kind of have to start formulating a plan. I do like the 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 Empire was ready for them, and it was a trap. Which but, they should be because yeah, you know, they, they went through this in New New Hope, so yeah, they covered their bases a little better. And there are some killer moments. I, I like uh, when Luke is so angry at Darth Vader that he continuously strikes him with his lightsaber until he chops his hand off. And John Williams is like swell score swells when like Vader realizes that Leia is his uh, or that I don't think he knows that Leia is his sister, but that Luke has a sister. And yeah, Luke unleashes and there's like that musical swell as the camera yeah. pans across the catwalk as Luke's just laying into him. Like that's an awesome moment. Yeah, this movie seems to be very divisive. Like the internet as kind of like a general thing seems to hate this movie. But I think everyone agrees like that moment is awesome. And the music is like the music and the emotion that go into that whole buildup. I, I think I, I said, I've said before on this podcast that return of the Jedi was my favorite as a kid. And I think the reason why is because of this final fight at the end, um, the three strand battle, I really enjoy, but most of all, as I've said, you know, Darth Vader is like the coolest character. And of course, um, you know, Luke is a great hero, I think. And that the emotion that's, in that dynamic is really compelling of just how he wants to save his father and his father's like, no, you need to come over to the dark side and all this stuff. And then of course, like that outburst when he brings up Leia, um, it's just, it's, it's really well built up, but I disagree with Ryan. Actually, I think this movie has pacing issues and the whole Jabba scene. I, I have conflicting conflicted feelings about it because I do think it's a fun like adventure within the movie, but
but it takes away kind of from the overall conflict between the rebellion and the empire. And I get why it's there narratively, basically to just rescue Han and thematically to show how much uh, more of a badass Luke has become in the, you know, six months or year since um, empire strikes back. But it kind of, I think it should be shorter. I don't think it needed to be that long. I would have rather spent more time with the Rebels and the Death Star and all that. Because that's more important to the overall story of Star Wars. It's too bad, Corinne, because I added a whole new musical sequence in that scene. You you, you have to sit down and enjoy it. I fast-forwarded through that piece of shit. No! <laughs> like any true fan would. No! As much time um, as it, it takes up in the movie, uh, I think it's still good it's there because the second half is so shallow. Um, because the only thing new that they're bringing to the table is Luke trying to redeem his father. But I, I also have one other question. Why is anyone afraid of Jabba the Hutt? Or why does anyone... like? Why is he in charge of anybody? Like, <laughs> well, sometimes like, mob bosses have money. But like... Why, why were they afraid of Marlon Brando and Good Godfather? He, he is, has a lot of people at his disposal. And I was actually thinking about this on the rewatch, Brad, is like he's not really a gangster so much as he is just like a king or a ruler. Like he has a throne. He has like a bunch of like courtiers like running around, like entertaining. Like he has like a little dance girl, kind of like he would have a jester if he were a king. But that's he's, what I'm asking he's not is a mob like, boss. what about him makes him so appealing that all these people are like willing to work under him and not just kill him and take what he has? Because he is so <laughs> like he doesn't move, like he he couldn't chase you down. Um you could easily overtake him. Um like he doesn't use weapons. I, I just, what makes him threatening to these people? That's he hires people to do his dirty work. Yeah. Why don't those people kill him though? And take what he has because they, he pays them. Don't you see the life they live? It's a bar, weird stuff to eat, but they wouldn't need him to pay them if they just killed him and took what he has. (laughs) Like he seems so defenseless. And yet, yeah. Brad, are you saying that you want Martin Scorsese to make a Jabba the Hutt gangster-esque Goodfellas movie? Because I'll I'll vouch for that idea 100%. No, I'm just, you know, as I watch the movie more and more, I just kind of wonder, like, even the whole, this whole plan to rescue Han is so convoluted. Like, so Lando's already infiltrated as a Gamorrean guard. He's, like, already in the system. Uh, And then they send in the droids to become servants. Um... You know, I'm just imagining before this movie, there was Lando, Leia, and Luke got together. Like, this is how we're going to save Han. Okay, Lando, you're going to dress up as a Gamorrean guard and uh, like go in like a week ahead of the droids. And the droids are going to go in. And then, you know, we don't know if Jabba's just going to destroy the droids or accept them. So, you know, we'll take that chance. And then Leia will dress up as Bosk and actually uh, rescue Han in the dead of night, but C-3PO is over in the corner with Jabba watching her rescue him and doesn't like sound off an alarm that maybe you shouldn't be doing this right now um, at a time. If you, I think in the shot where they pull back the curtain and reveal Jabba was there, I think somebody's covering C-3PO's mouth. Yeah, they are. So, But 
But yeah, like, it is a little at some weird. Point, I agree with you, Brad. Like, what if Leia had succeeded in getting Han out? Like, what if Jabba and all of them really had been asleep? Yeah, then, the, the, then Lando doesn't need to be there. He can just go home. Luke doesn't have to show up. But yeah, leave. Lando right. breaks Chewie out because Chewie was in the the jail cell at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. Chewie's just in there doing nothing. He's just a prisoner. So who's going to rescue him? I guess Leia when they got Han, and then so Luke showing up was also part of the plan, or was like, yeah, he once, had once, he had three uh, PO. Once Leia doesn't escape, I guess he has to show up and fix everything. Yeah, but, that's why he had three PO snuggle his lightsaber in. No, he had R two smuggle. I mean R two. I'm sorry, but yeah, like. Luke already had a plan in place for like when they're on the sail barge that when he's on the plank, R2-D2 has to get to the top of the sail barge and position himself for the right trajectory to get the lightsaber shot to him. And or you then, just, or he shoots it in the air and he uses the force to bring it to him. Yeah. So what? <laughs> here, I, agree, I agree with you, Brad. It does seem like a very convoluted plan. Like so many pieces have to work out that Luke had to have foreseen ahead of time. So Luke must be the ultimate chess master. Well, I'll yeah, offer, you gotta be a tactician. I'll, I'll offer a theory. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy, right? So they're unpredictable. And also those guys probably would, I don't know, tear them to pieces if they found out that there were Jedi Knights there that would basically disrupt their entire order of cr- organized crime. So they may have to play it like that chess game that Brad's alluding to. And also... You know, he does say, Jabba, this is your last chance. You can let us go now or you'll die. So he does give him a choice. He does try to bargain with Jabba on Jabba's terms. And Jabba, of course, goes, oh, 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 no, fuck you. And then that's when they have to go into action and kill that pussy bounty hunter. Um, but My theory was that Luke could see part of the future. Like, you know, because they say, like, the future is always in motion. So, like, maybe he caught glimpses of, like, if we go out to the the Dune Sea, whatever, and the, you know, the, not Rancor, whatever, the thing is, the Sarlacc Pit. Sarlacc Pit, yeah. Yeah, if we go out to the Sarlacc Pit, and then I can, like, arrange the pieces in this way, and, like, Chewie and Lando can be there with Han, and, like, R2 can be on the barge, and he can... So, I Luke don't is know. just Doctor Strange? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. The Java, I can't and if, the deal. And if Luke is so, like, this visionary, how does he not already know that the Emperor has this trap waiting for them? Like, shouldn't Luke be the one, like, leading the rebel forces instead of Mon Mothma? Oh, no, he's distracting him. Yeah, he's clouding him with anger and fear. Yeah. Brad is asking if Luke is so prescient, why isn't he leading the force? Yeah, if Luke can if Luke can foresee like how this whole rescue Han is going to play out with like all these random factors like Boba Fett and like it's all the hundreds of other Fett. people. It's uh, not a theory. Admitted, why isn't he the one planning the attack on the new Death Star? Maybe he can't see that far ahead into the future. <laughs> Maybe the Emperor's clouding his whatever. Well, no, he he goes to the Emperor because he's trying to turn his father. Yeah, he still not- senses good in him. And you can't like dissect a movie like that because he's going there to rescue Han. Some shit happened. He has to change how he's going to rescue him. And also, That's just Luke way got- overanalyzing that opening. <laughs> I'm also, saying he got really lucky. Like A lot of things just sure. worked out in his favor. Right. But and also, Luke's not a military tra- tactician. He's a fucking farm boy who's a Jedi Unite now at this point, but he's still not a military tactician. So... Another it, it, problem... It was- 
with the Java opening is that because you have like these different waves of people coming in, we don't really get, and this is like for the whole movie in general, but you don't get a lot of scenes with all of our leads together. You know, you have like the sail barge, like the, the whole battle out by the Sarlacc pit sort of, cause Leia's on the sail barge and they're on the little skiffs. But then like the only other one is like when they're all on Endor and even then not really cause Lando's off doing his thing. So this is like the one time that all the major characters in the movie are together, except for the very end. And then we don't get a lot of interaction between them, you know, shit on the rise of Skywalker all you want, but at least that movie almost went out of its way to keep its leads together for a good portion of the movie. Yeah. But return of the Jedi is not trying to tell that story. They're trying to tell the redemption of Vader and it just happens to coincide 50 minutes at Jabba's palace. You know, what's a great movie is empire strikes back. And that doesn't keep our characters together. So maybe that's the way to go. I know Um, what I'm saying is like, because empire strikes back has this a story B story thing. We don't get a lot of time in the entire saga where all of our main character characters are together. So I'm saying maybe it works it better great. when they're not together. <laughs> maybe keep them apart. For ma- for that act of the story, sure, like it worked better when they weren't together. But this is the act when it's like all of the people are supposed to come together and defeat the main bad guy, whether it's like Jabba or the Empire or whatever, and that doesn't really happen. I wanted not, the interaction between them. Well, you're not. Well, again, we're doing the Vader redemption. We're not doing that. I mean, how cheated would you feel if Han Solo shot Vader? <laughs> I mean, he did shoot him, Ryan, in Empire, and it didn't go very well. I know that, but that's what I mean. Like, you lose the you lose the the weight if you have everybody else fighting Darth Vader. There's a uh, you know you have to have Luke defeat his father. And you have, have to. From the, from the from the stanza of the the hero's journey, which you know, call it relevant or not today, if you want, but that's how it's going to have to work. Is that Luke as that character needs to confront this one on one? This is his battle. Uh, you know, it's a great uh, callback to the uh, prequels. Where I guess flash forward to the prequels. Do you remember what Darth Vader does when Luke has the high ground? He throws his lightsaber at him. Yep. He doesn't just jump. He learned. I learned a lesson long ago that I shall never for fucking get. <laughs> no, he tells him, well, because Luke's at the top of the stairs, and because after he kicks Vader down the stairs, and Vader stands up, and he's like, Obi-Wan has taught you well. Because <laughs> he has <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, yeah. but, I'm, but I'm just saying, like, if you, at the very end, because you have this very personal story with Luke and Vader... And then the other rebels are fighting the empire kind of like on this bigger political scale. Then yeah, at the beginning of the movie, give me those scenes where they're all working together to stop this one common threat being Jabba. They were all there. I don't see why we couldn't have had more interactions between them. They, they did. They, Leia took care of Jabba. Everybody else took care of all the other bounty hunters. Yep. Separately. Speaking of that scene, I know I was giving shit to Boba Fett earlier. Uh, Han and Chewie worked together. They did, yeah. Okay, again, I wanted all of them. I wanted more teamwork. I wanted to see the strategy and all that stuff. Give me some, like, Avengers-level, like, 
here's what we're gonna do. You do the do 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 here. Okay, and then we improvise as it changes. Do that 180 dolly shot across, looking at all of them, looking triumphant. Yeah, I gotcha. Awesome. Um, to go back to the barge scene though, because I know I was giving uh, Boba Fett shit earlier, but him and everybody else in that scene, in terms of them fighting and whatnot, it is a stunt tacular scene. I fucking love the way it's executed and composed. Um, and just watching them all like throw each other into the pit and fucking like it, it, it's a testament to like obviously the visual effects in this movie are always astounding. But I love the stunt work in Star Wars movies too when they're done correctly. Like it, it's it's a and it's also it's on that tight compact like the sh- the barge itself is pretty small, so it's almost like it's a swashbuckler. In, it's a, literally a swashbuckler in space to that extent. So the spectacle um, spectacle in this movie is still really good. Like oh yeah, it's fantastic. I was saying earlier before the trailer, the speeder bike sequence is still fucking amazing. Yeah, holds up very well visually. And I uh, always have really loved the character or in the creature designs in Star Wars. Like the Rancor is just so like weird and unique. And- mm-hmm scary like the rancor is always like one of the best creatures in all of star wars i always feel bad when his his pig guard friend uh has to uh tend to the body uh in the rancor's death like you really feel for pig man there um how often does the rancor have to eat like do they feed do they pick up someone from like jabba's palace to get fed to the rancor every day like how often does the rancor have i mean to... he'd have to he's huge yeah, he like, has he, a crazy metabolism. You'd have to feed like twenty people a day to him. Like, well, that's maybe what he does with uh, people in his pay. Hey, find me people to eat, or I'll throw you in the <laughs> Rancor pit. Who would work for Jabba then? <laughs> like, <laughs> holy shit! Like, one day I might be selected to go to the Rancor just because we need to feed the Rancor. Like, even if or, I'm doing a good job, or maybe he kidnapped kids and <laughs> oh. like groomed them to be Jabba soldiers. There are other things to eat, you guys. Didn't you see those, like, woolly mammoth things in the desert? Just kill one of them, and it probably feeds like, a week. Yeah. I, la- just, now yeah. we know why that shot was added. We <laughs> 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 always wanted to know what the Rancor eats. Here it is. <laughs> the last thing, uh, like, I feel like over time has changed for me is I feel like Luke and Vader's, uh, Luke and Vader's uh, relationship is really underdeveloped. Um. You know, they've only really just met in Empire and Vader suddenly feels such ownership over him, over his son, uh, for someone who didn't, you know, wasn't around. Um, you know, and the the finale is really just them standing in a room saying, hey, turn to the dark side. No, you turn to the light side. No, you turn to the dark side. Well, when did Vader actually find out he had a son, though? Between uh, four and five. He found, out, he, found out, he found out in five. Because he, uh, Palpatine, that scene with Palpatine, he says, we have a new enemy. And he says, uh, he says, it's the, the, his name is Skywalker. And Vader goes, that's impossible. But Vader already knew Skywalker existed at the very beginning of the movie. It's mentioned in the title crawl. And it's mentioned when they get the uh, droid footage from Hoth. Because he's like, the rebels are there. And I'm sure Skywalker is with them. He are and in the comics they actually have a scene where Vader finds out who Luke is. So I'm guessing that that whole scene with the Emperor in five is um, Vader just acting or something. I mean, it's got to be the only explanation because remember he wanted to bring Luke over to his side. 
so that they could overthrow the emperor. That is true, because in that same scene, he goes, if we could turn him, and he almost sounds like he's trying to bargain with Palpatine at that point. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah, but- you wonder now, because he says, like, you know, the emperor has foreseen how Luke would overthrow him, and I'm like, if he, like, when did the emperor tell him that? Um, they only had the one conversation about it. Well, you never know. They might have gotten coffee later on after the Death Star blew up, you know, and just had a little quite little quaint chat, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't see where Vader's compassion for his son comes from, like, like so quickly. Well, like he's, he's he's willing. Uh, he's to... always conflicted. Yeah, and he's he he does say that he he was trying to tell him kind of he says to Luke point blank, "It's too late for me," and then within that line of dialogue you get the sense of like he's almost trying to tell Luke like get the fuck out of here boy what are you talking about you don't want to be a burnt up crispy motherfucker like I am but why where that like it's just it just seems like it was developed for that moment like in Empire and and, and A New Hope I, I don't see any conflict in like the most terrifying villain of the galaxy um, it only it only forms in Return of the Jedi and I'm not sure why, because he spent no time with his son until now. Well, I think I can talk to that. Um, so in Empire, like once he, um, you know, talks to Luke and he's like, I want you to rule with me. Like we will rule the galaxy as father and son. So he wants to be both a father and a Sith Lord. In this movie, once Luke makes it very clear, I'm not turning to the dark side, Vader has to decide, does he want to be a father or does he want to be a Sith Lord? Because he realizes he's not going to get both. He's not going to have his cake and eat it too. Those are tough choices to make in real life too. And also, it's like Palpatine is literally frying his son to death. So Vader's just like looking at his son dying and is like, well, I can either stand here and watch my master kill my son, or I can save my son by killing my master. And I'm glad you say that he looks, because you clearly remembered the correct version of this, not the one going, no, no. I hate that change. <laughs> so small, but it just, it just doesn't land quite like it used to now. No, it's so great. It just adds so much to the character of Vader. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it explains his whole paternal instinct now. I get it. I yeah. get it. Just from that See? one line. You're welcome, everybody. I knew I did right. <laughs> That is has to be the most bizarre change. Like, why? It doesn't make any sense why it's in the movie. You know what people liked about uh, episode three is when Vader rose and he he found out that his wife had died and he yelled no. If I could just put that back into the the series okay, later, yeah. it would make them feel better about that change. The, the Coen brothers taught me a lot about bookending things, whether it's dialogue or imagery, and I, I just thought dialogue might be the best way to correct this sucker once and for all. Oh boy! Yeah, so the, I, the I will say is... it's not the most egregious addition he made, though. It that is. scene in Jabba's palace. Is. <laughs> no, that scene in Jabba's palace is. No, the whole Return of the Jedi is the most egregious thing he's remade. That's fair. Side note: When I rewatched Empire Strikes Back, I don't know why I always really liked the line "Bring my shuttle," but it changed it totally. Now <laughs> it's like "Tell my star destroyer to prepare for my arrival," and I'm like, "What the?" F- what was wrong with bring my shuttle you guys i had to acquiesce to those fans who made all those books for me he sounds so pissed when he says it too so i always love the delivery of that line and this one he's just like 
Hmm. Oh, I guess I'm just going to tell my Star Destroyer. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, dangling up his hand like, whatever. <laughs> oh, my son just like totally blew my dreams of father-son galaxy domination down the drain, but whatever. <laughs> oh. But, uh, it, it, you know what? Actually, you know what? I will... I will say, yeah, the, the the change that I hate most on an emotional level is honestly the the removal of the original um, Yubnub. Uh, the the Yubnub song, yeah. It's not like Yubnub is like the greatest composition known to human history, but I, I like it more than this this piece of music that Williams wrote is fine, but it just doesn't work for the the battle we've just gone through. It's, it's almost a, a little too melancholy or bittersweet. Like it has yeah. kind of like a sad undertone to it. Yeah, it's 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 ref, it's too reflective in a way that like a obviously word. suggested that this was supposed to be the the final of it. We wouldn't get a sequel trilogy of any kind and whatnot. Because obviously we're going to like we're we're cutting back to places like Coruscant and whatnot and hear that you know we hear a little bit of Jar Jar in the background and um. But, like, yeah, you know, it's what it is. So do we want to talk about the Ewoks at all? Oh, how badass they are? Yes, let's talk about the Ewoks. I'm fine with them. Yeah, they they don't bother me. Yeah, and they can eat you. They can eat you guys. Apparently, everyone on the internet hates the Ewoks. Well, they're wrong. I know. I'm not on the internet. Granted, I, again, (laughs) watched this movie a lot as a kid, so I have nostalgia goggles for it, for sure, but... What's wrong with the Ewoks? They're vicious. Yeah, I was still bad for them when they got shot by the lasers and they're like, <laughs> like how can you find fault with like a bunch of uh, like forest creatures that like don't utilize technology and are still able to overthrow an entire imperial the technological society? Yeah, yeah. Like that was like the whole point that Lucas wanted something that was you know very much like that yeah like the very primitive society Man versus machine yeah yeah the, seeming, the seemingly inferior that can take out the seemingly dominant yeah because that's never happened in human history nope never at all never not and once. also i think that maybe the idea that they're so cute that you don't consider them a threat is maybe kind of what makes them good is like yeah, you don't think that these cute little like teddy bears are gonna like eat you? Yeah, that's what, that's what the empire screwed up. Is they're like, you know, they're crawling on the ATSTs and they're like, use the windshield wipers to wipe them off. Like they don't even want to kill them. They're just like, get these barnacles off of our ship, and then you know, turns out those barnacles will kill you. I will say, when I was a kid, the the close ups on the faces of the Ewoks, I was terrified of their little fucking like whenever they were like when Wicket's getting angry, I'm like. They're not that cute. You know, now as I'm older, I'm like, oh, that's adorable. That, that's an adorable teddy bear. But, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, they, they had menace early on. Like, Wigan was going to – he was going to fucking kill Leia, you know? Like, he was going to stab her straight up. Yeah, he was definitely, like, curious about her. But anytime she, like, made any kind of movement, he was, like, ready to just wail on her. Yeah, they'll <laughs> sacrifice had- you to their god just because it's a Wednesday. Not just any god, Brad. The best god they could have appointed to their uh, to their society, C three PO, the Gold Man. Yes, the Gold Man. <laughs> I love. I love. It's it's genuinely a great moment. I love when C three PO is basically retelling the story of the first two Star Wars to them in Wicket language, in Ewok language. It's adorable, and I fucking love it. 
It's called Ewokies. Ewokies. I'm sorry. I'm not. As one can tell, I'm not the most versed Star Wars fan in the world, but I do oh, like the Star Wars. You know, there is some changes that I do like that Lucas did. Um, towards the end, we see the true force ghost of Anakin pop up. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Why is Anakin and, the only one who, when he dies, gets to be young again? Because that's <laughs> yeah. how everybody wants to remember him. I mean, Luke wouldn't have recognized him at all. But <laughs> So Yoda and Obi-Wan want to be remembered as like old, withered old men? I yeah, because they're wise. <laughs> I think that the thing is, is that when Anakin ceased to be a Jedi at that point in Revenge of the Sith, that's when he died as far as the Force is concerned. They don't acknowledge the Sith years. Yeah, that's know. why it's a brilliant creative choice. So I guess, yeah, the Sith don't have Force ghosts. Are you being sarcastic, Ryan? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I couldn't tell there for a second. I'm like, man, Ryan really loves this Hayden Christensen Force ghost. I think Ryan likes Hayden Christensen. He's got a crush on him now. I hate you. I hate you! <laughs> so Sith get to be cloned, and then Jedi get to be Force Ghost. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You doy. So dumb. Didn't you read your encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge, Brad? Like, that's how it's always been. I'm surprised he hasn't CGI'd out the actual actor in Darth Vader's mask when they take off his mask like i think the performance is so good that's probably why they uh i'd be sarcastic (laughs) am i (laughs) am i am i it's obviously disrespectful disrespectful uh, disrespectful to do that to the actor but i mean with everything else he's done like why not at this point you know if you want to make it completely uh preserve the continuity well he can't anymore he doesn't own it wait brad are you saying you want me to come back brad do you want me to come back i do know that when they take the helmet off that actor so in the original version he has his eyebrows but in the updated version or remastered whatever they took his eyebrows out and it actually looks better that way it makes more sense. Like if his face burned up in the in the fire, you shouldn't have eyebrows. Also, um, his eyebrows are black, <laughs> so it's like. Eh. Yeah, put so he drew them on. on. The cigar. <laughs> He's using just a little bit of the force to keep them on there. <laughs> Otherwise, they just fall out. My vanity is necessary. It's all I have. These eyebrows. I don't want to look like a Star Trek alien. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we can't do that. It's it's uh, it, it, we're treading too much into Trek territory. Oh, hey, uh, eighty-eight drive-in just announced a different lineup than what I quoted earlier. I really oh, got to wait till later to announce these. What is uh, it? It's pretty pretty cool. Uh, Karate Kid, Men in Black, and Matrix Reloaded, which Ooh. I guess Reloaded must be a discount. <laughs> yeah, I mean but they should put just... a three-hour-long movie at the very end. But but what? How am I going to know what happened? before it and how will i know ha- what happened after it brad how will i know uh I, maybe you could like maybe work men in black into the mythology of matrix reloaded like maybe they're connected maybe it's starting a revolution maybe Wait, everything what? in many men in black is a simulation is this is it the original karate kid brad yeah okay maybe ralph macchio became neo you don't know oh yeah uh yeah. mr miyagi trains uh, him, Ralph Macchio, to become 
Neo, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, then, but, you know, Machio gets, you know, a little slackerish, becomes a hacker for some weird people at a, at a rave bars, and then he gets summoned by, Neo, by Morpheus, and then that's how it all began. But Agent J is the one who's skeptical of the universe, so he would be a better Neo. That's true. Will Smith was actually supposed to be Neo, right? Well, yeah, were, he was, yeah. Turned it down. Hey, you guys remember movies. when we did Film Explosion in 1997 and he got so pissed at me because I made fun of Men in Black constantly? No. I do. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember us giving you shit for it, did we? Who made, who made fun of you? I think uh, you made fun of yourself. No. Nah. Brad's like, I get it. You don't like it. <laughs> oh, I do remember. Yeah, I punched the screen. <laughs> um, you know, maybe just Vincent D'Onofrio can be Neo at this point. We need to give Vincent D'Onofrio some work. Sorry, we were talking about Return of the Jedi. <laughs> uh, I think good. Next week, it's Zach's choice. Yeah. yeah I'm going to make it next week, so. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Um, I'll watch it and I'll talk about it myself. <laughs> and then the week after, maybe the following week, we are going to do Film Explosion 2000. 2000? So start sending us your lists. I'll start posting about it. Um, Zach, do you know what movie you want all of us to watch next? I'm wondering if I should tell you guys now or if I should uh, wait and uh, figure out, because I've got a couple of ideas in mind, but um, why don't we leave it to a mystery for the listeners to find out on the Facebook page? Shouldn't we wait till uh, James and Henry can chime in on whether they can make it next week for following week? That's also true. Uh, no, I, I know. That's why I just put it out there right now. So it's either two weeks or three weeks. Okay. And then we can go from there. Yeah. Exactly. I think Brad was asking whether... I understand what Brad was asking me. (laughs) No, Brad, weren't you asking about next week? No, no, Ryan just said, like, the week after Zach's thing is we're going to do Film Explosion. I was like, shouldn't we wait until the other guys have a say? And that just proves you don't listen to me because I said the following week or the week after. I thought Brad meant that he wanted to see whether uh, James or Henry had a movie suggestion so we don't have to watch whatever Zach picked. Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, yeah. That's that's right. No, you have to be on the show to be in line to pick. So if those guys are going to sit out, then... Yep. Tim, you're all all left with my will and my choice. Yeah, and after Zach, if they're not here, it's, it's, it's Ryan again, so... Yeah, that's right. Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> yes, gonna, Phantom, guys, Phantom Menace. <laughs> no, I'm going to probably pick Dennis the Menace. Dude. Have you, what, have you watched that movie recently, Ryan? No. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. It can't be good, right? I don't even remember it, so I, yeah, I know Walter Matthau's in it. Yeah, and that's the reason I kind of want to rewatch it. I also understand that that's not a good reason to always rewatch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd's in it. He's probably good. Yeah, Lloyd. Good. Anyway, right, problem so, child. We'll do problem child. <laughs> I'm gonna get started watching a bunch of black and white stuff, so I'm ready for Zach to fix something. <laughs> Guys, my my episodes hold over. We're just gonna watch Mank uh, in October when it comes out. No, no, I'll find something fun for you guys. Don't worry, it may not be black and white. Just, just not be pick something that's like accessible. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the other thing. Like, there are films that I would love to chat with you guys about that aren't fully streamable and whatnot. So I'm going to have to definitely um, make some tough choices. So, um, cool. Or just find a movie we all own on DVD or whatever. 
Blu-ray. You, you Sorry, Ryan. DVDs? <laughs> Sorry, right. Ryan. I know the word DVD triggers you. I yeah. apologize. The, Dumb wait, no, fucking some, discs. Something something we all own. Okay, Real Nerds Pod Show Season 1. We'll just go through all six episodes of the pod show. <laughs> yeah, Explo- actually, five of them. Let's not do mine because I'm just terrible in it. You know, you're joking, but I was actually thinking of episode ideas to do. And I was like, we should just do commentaries again for like, we should just review each episode as an episode of this show oh snap that that could be an interesting side little bit <laughs> like that would take six weeks yeah i mean shit we're we're waiting for christopher nolan to save the world again so anyway anyway we'll, we'll find, i'll find something fun guys i swear see you guys next week thanks bye 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.